All right, Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. Sister Dudley, would you read that for us? From the New English transit, uh, Translation. And I will put hostility <coughs> between you and the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring. Her offspring will attack your head, and you will attack her offspring's heel. Amen. Amen. So on tonight, as we try to dig a little deeper into the two seeds of, chapter, of verse 15, first of all, let's put a context around this. Uh, Sister Dudley, who's speaking and who is the audience? The Lord, the Lord is speaking. All right. And to whom is the Lord speaking? Uh, he was speaking to us. Well... I don't know if we should say serpent or to the devil. Okay, either one will be just fine because we know the serpent is the devil. devil. So now, as we begin to look at this passage, the Lord says, I will put hostility or enmity between you, you being the serpent or Satan, and the woman, and between your seed and her seed. Before we go any further, just looking at the first part of that verse, what is the blessing of womanhood? To be um, produced. All right. To produce offspring. Now, the ownership of the seed was given to the woman, right. not to the man. Right. So through childbearing, blessings come. And so any time that the culture that one might live in may try to make a woman less than a man. This text gives encouragement to the woman knowing that her role is so uh, important in the proliferation of the body of Christ. Now that Christ has come, we've seen what's happened there. There are still more offspring, and there's still more opportunity for the woman to be the nurturer and the ones who start out the very beginning of the nurturing process to bring the child up into the admonition of the Lord. That make sense? Now, we look at the Lord putting enmity between two. And this hostility is put between the you, which is the serpent, and the woman. But then it comes right back and says, and between your seed and her seed. From last week, what were the two seeds? Who, who's this seed with the lowercase? And who's the seed with the uppercase? Which one is Antichrist? All right, and the Antichrist is lowercase. Say that again. So the C, lowercase, is who? And the uppercase C? The text opens up with the word enmity or hostility or 
antagonism, if you will, or an enemy. So now the serpent is the enemy of the woman. And so in the same parallel, the seed, the Antichrist, is the enemy of Christ. Now if you notice, in our text, the conversation starts with God talking to the serpent as if the serpent is going to have children. and But yet talking to the woman as far as having children as well. But in both cases, the word here is prophetic in nature. This text is not talking about the first generation of Eve. It's not talking about her first children or Cain and Abel. It's talking about Christ who comes 42 <coughs> generations later. So in the same sense, prophetically, he's talking about the Antichrist who comes some number of generations beyond that. And so tonight, what we want to do is take a closer look at this Antichrist. We want to get an idea of why is this text pointing to the seed being the Antichrist? Why isn't it somebody else? And how does the Bible explain to us who this seed is? What are the keys and what are the things that the Bible says about this Antichrist that would put it in him, him in parallel with Christ? First thing we want to do is we want to go, hold your place here, and let's go to Isaiah chapter 14. Isaiah chapter 14. Let's start at verse 3 and go from verse 3 to verse 8. Um, Brother Ferguson, would you read those verses for us? All right. Coming from the New International Version. On the day the Lord gives you relief from suffering and turmoil and cruel bondage, you will take up this taunt against the king of Babylon. How the oppressor has come to an end how his fury has ended. The Lord has broken the rod of the wicked, the skeptic of the rulers, which is anger struck down peoples with unceasing blows and in fury subdued nations with relentless aggression. And all the lands are at rest and at peace, the break into singing, even the pine trees and the cedars of Lebanon, that was that exalts over you and say, Um, is that the end of verse? Oh, I'm sorry. Now that you have been laid low, no woodsman, no woodsman comes to cut us down. Amen. Now that you were laid low. Sister Sanders, would you read verses 9 through 14? Coming from um, King James Version. Hell, has, hell from beneath is 
moved from thee to meet thee at thy coming. It stirreth up the dead from thee, even all the thieves, I'm sorry, even all the chief ones of the earth. It hath rised up from their thrones all the kings of the nations. All they speak all they shall speak and shall and say unto thee, Art thou also become weak as we? Art thou become like us? Art thou become like unto us? Where did you say go to? Um, to 14. Thy pomp is brought down to the grave, and the noise of thy boils. The worm is spread under thee, and the worms cover thee. How art thou fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning? How art thou cut down from to the ground, which didst weaken the nations? For thou hast said in thine heart, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will sit also upon the mount of the congregation in the sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the Most High. Amen. Amen. This text gives us insight into the motivation and the operation of Satan himself. That old serpent of old. Of Genesis chapter 3. It lets us see in this text. That Satan. Has. Rule. In this present world. And the text lets us see. Kings of many nations. That he has control of. But at the same time. The Lord reveals to us the desire of Satan himself. And that desire is to be like God. O Lucifer, son of the morning, how you are cut down to the ground. He, he's fallen from heaven. And in the phrase, Son of morning, it denotes a brightness, a glow, a glory that he once had that he no longer has anymore. Because of his disobedience to God in the heavenlies, God cast him out of the heavens. But what we're really looking at here is we want to get into the mind of the enemy. We want to get into the mind of Satan. And find out what is his real motivation. What, does his, what is his epic level? What does he really want? He wants to be like God. Why? Somebody tell me, why does he want to be like God? What does he desire? What does making it to getting in the position of God do for him? Power. Power. What else? Worship. Worship. Key, worship. It gives him power, but he really wants, to, wants be to be worshipped. He's always wanted to be in the position where everybody and everything worship him. And so in this text, we see that his desire is to rise up and be in the throne of God. He wants to sit where God sits. He wants all the glory for himself. He wants to be worshipped. 
And so as the stories begin to unfold in Genesis, at the fall of man, there is that old serpent, the one who's more cunning than any other beast in the field. So why did he, in the Garden of Eden, try to cause Adam to stumble, to cause Eve to stumble and disobey God? Why? <coughs> because he is after worship. First of all, he needs to get control of the kingdom. And he knew that Adam, God had granted Adam the what? The dominion over all things. But because of Adam and Eve's disobedience, his dominion was lost. And now Satan has rule in this present world. We see it all over the world. We see the decisions that are being made and the directions that are being taken. The murders and the lying and the deceit of great officials of nations. Why? Because their ruler is the devil. But that's still not good enough for Satan. Because he wants ultimate worship of all things. And so now the stage is set why the Lord God says to Satan that I'm going to put enmity between you and the woman and with your seed and her seed. Jesus Christ, the son of the living God. What does the Bible say about him as far as the Godhead? What does it say about him? He is the what? He's in what position in the Godhead? The right hand. Now he's at the right hand of the Father now, but in the positional of the Godhead of the three persons, he is the. He's the Son, and he is the what? In what position within the? He is the second. Second. That's right, because it's God the Father, Father the Son, and the Holy, and the Holy Spirit. Spirit. Now. Out of all of those who are in the Godhead, which one has a name that's above every name? Jesus. Jesus. Now the Father is in position one, but the Bible allows us to know that he's going to be exalted, that his name will be above every name. And every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess that Jesus is Lord. Jesus is Lord. Well, in the spiritual realm, we got Satan. And we have God the Father who is invisible. No one has seen the Father. And nobody has really seen Satan either. Right. So, We've got this war going on, and we know that Satan wants to be like God. He wants to sit on the throne. But, but Satan is more cunning than any other beast in the field. He knows the story. And so he knows that the good news of redemption of the entire world culminates in Jesus Christ. The Bible says that Jesus Christ 
would be what? In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was And the Word was and, and then was made flesh. And we beheld Him as the only begotten, full of grace and truth. He is the only one in the Godhead that puts on mortal flesh. But he is one whom we can see. But the Bible also says in Jesus Christ, the fullness of the Godhead dwells bodily. So through Jesus Christ, we're able to see God. He is the ultimate image of God. He shows us God in no other way. When they say, when you have seen Jesus, you have seen the Father. Well, here goes Satan. He sees this story unfolding. Now, if he just stays, if he just has his invisible portion, does that line up with what God's doing in his story? What does Satan have to have as well? A flesh. Mm -hmm. That's right. And he has to have a flesh that everybody will bow to. Because at every, at, at the name Jesus, every tongue and tongue shall confess, every knee shall bow. So now, in order for him to be like God, he's got to have a body. A, right, a body, a counterpart. He's got to somehow play the role of God in this redemption story. Now, let's take. Uh -huh. I want to interrupt you for just a minute. Um, back over there in Genesis, the 15th chapter, <coughs> it talks about in the very first uh, verse. Okay. I wanted to ask you a question. Okay, Genesis chapter 15? Yeah. All right. Back to. Uh, that's where we started, right? Oh, uh, chapter 3. I mean, chapter 3. I'm talking about the okay. verse, but I mean chapter 3. But in the. Um, very first verse where it says, Now the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field which uh -huh. the Lord God had made. Now that doesn't mean that the serpent was a beast. He no, just said he was more cunning than, than the beast. Because see, a lot of people think that that means that Satan was a beast. That's right. But I just wanted to bring that point out that he was not a beast. That's exactly right. He was not a beast. No, he was as cunning as maybe the fox who was very sly. That's you know, right. but he was not a beast. He was not a beast. Yeah. And and since you brought us something that we were talking about on last week, when we were looking at Satan, we were looking at the Hebrew word nakash. Mm -hmm. That nakash has the connotation of shininess, of, of luster, of attractiveness in it. And that all of what we've usually learned about him really has no real merit. Because what we end up, we got him looking. We got him looking like a snake. Mm -hmm. We got him looking at like all these different things, which doesn't necessarily mean that's what he looked like because of the literature right. we're looking at in this text. Because what a lot of people don't understand is those things are used as symbols. That's right, metaphors. Metaphors, mm -hmm. you know, to give you a picture. <coughs> yeah, absolutely. So the picture, <coughs> uh, say, like a snake. Well, you you when we look at a snake, we say the snake is dangerous. That's right. He's devious. Yes. You know he's cunning. There it is. So those are 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 behaviors or attitudes of Satan. Excuse me. That's it, and that's exactly what we went over last week too, Sister Wright. We talked about when we see a person maybe going down the street that we know, and we say, 
all Bob is a devil. We're not really saying he's a devil, but he has devilish ways. But it's a good way to explain how he operates. And that's a good way to explain how Satan operates. When we look at a serpent and we think about the danger and the poisonness of a serpent, the devil is very poison. He seeks to steal, kill, and destroy he is a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. Metaphors. Right. But those metaphors are all about showing how dangerous <laughs> our enemy Satan really is. Yeah. Good points brought out because that, that lines up exactly what we were talking about last week as well. So, as we look at this text, and we're looking at Satan, and we're looking at his desire as well to imitate God. Let's look at what the New Testament talks about when it talks about the Antichrist. Uh, Sister Wright, um, 1 John 2 and 18. these and thou's in there. But I'm not sure if it's actually King James. Good question. Alright, go ahead, sis. Well, anyway, let's just read. Yeah. 2.18 <laughs> um, Little children, it is the last hour, and as you have heard that the Antichrist is coming, even now many Antichrists have come by which we know that it is the last hour. Amen. Uh, real quick side note. Yeah, the Gideon Bible, based on the uh, bibliography and that information I saw in the front, is based off the New King James Version. Amen. All right, sister, right here in verse 18, John says, little children, it is the last hour, and you have heard that the Antichrist is coming. Even now, many Antichrists have come, by which we know that it is the last hour. What's the difference between the first Antichrist capital and then the many Antichrists lowercase? The, 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 last, the first one is, is Satan or the devil. Okay. And the second one are his followers. Ah, here we go. Very good. There are many antichrists or Satan's followers. What's another word for when we see antichrist or when we hear of antichrist, what do we also call them? They're usually false uh -huh, and false teachers. The antichrist, they have to go around teaching a different doctrine than God's doctrine to be anti-Christ. Does that make sense? And they are the followers of Satan 
and ultimately the followers of the Antichrist. So here in this text, when it talks about the Antichrist, what more is being said than just Satan? What is being said here? It is the, the Antichrist capital. There's more than just Satan being said here. It's saying the Antichrist is Satan doing what? Coming in human form. So now he's in human form and he's indwelling an actual human being. Because for him to be like Christ, he can't just be a Christophany or Theophany. He has to be incarnate. So he's going to actually dwell within side of somebody. It's going to be an actual human being. And how do we know who the Antichrist is? How will we know? It says that they'll be manifest. He'll be manifest. Okay, now how will the believers in God know that he is the Antichrist? The Holy Spirit will reveal Absolutely. The Holy Spirit will reveal. Let's go. You're right on where I want to go next. Um, 1 John chapter 4. The Holy Spirit will reveal. 1 John chapter 4. Let's look at Sister McDaniel. Read verses 1 through 3. Of 1 John chapter 4. You said chapter 4? That is correct. Verses 1 through 3. Amen. Amen. 1 John 4, verses 1 to 3, gives us insight into the Antichrist once again, but also gives us insight in which tools we have available to be able to detect them. And as Sister Rice said, it's by the power of the Holy Spirit. The text starts out, it says, Do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits, whether they are of God. This is where we get the phrase that we use a lot is testa by the Spirit. By the Spirit. <clears throat> so there are those who say, you know, that 
what you're saying is not right. That's not what the Bible is saying. It says, test the spirits whether or not they are of God. You can't test the spirit unless you test it by the Holy Spirit. Because no one knows the spirit of a man unless it is God. So the only power we have to be able to test another spirit is the power of the Holy Spirit. Sis. I have a question. Right here, um, when they're talking about every, don't believe every spirit, but test the spirits, whether they are God or because any false prophets have gone out. Let's see. Uh, number two, verse two. By this you know that the spirit of God, every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is of God. The spirit right there is referring to a man. A man. Uh-huh. It's saying every man is not of God. That's right. And so, you know, sometimes people don't understand, but sometimes in the Bible the word spirit is referring to a natural man, a human man. That's right, because every human being is made up of what? Spirit, soul, and body. And how, where, what place that's devoid in a human being who hasn't accepted Christ, that place is his spirit. Mm -hmm. So that's where the opening is for the devil to enter or for God to enter if they trust in him. It is a place by which a spirit can dwell. So a human being, that the only way you can be possessed by the devil is that you don't have Christ. Because you must first bind the strong man if you're going to take over his house. And the God is omnipotent. He has all power in his hand. So there is no created being that can bind him. The only way you can be possessed is you be unsaved because you've got to have a place for him to enter. But once the Holy Spirit indwells you, there is no more possession. The best can be can be some external um what would we call it? Um, not possession, but we could call Blows. it. Blows. Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> not. not um, um, what's another word for that? Uh, oppression. Oppression, yeah. We can get some oppression, oppression. but no possession. When you say saved, do you mean that you believe Jesus died and he rose with all power? That's right. And you, not only that, but you have, you have relinquished yourself to allow Jesus Christ to come and live in your heart. Because you can intellectually believe that, but not let Jesus become the Lord of your life. That's what's so interesting about Romans chapter 10, verses 9 and 10. It says, if you confess with your mouth, not just Jesus, but the Lord Jesus. Because Intellectual knowledge about him is one thing, but relinquishing yourself to let him be the Lord of your life is another. The true believer is one who has said, not I, but Christ in me, is the one who said, I don't want to live no more, but Lord, you live in me. Because until he starts living in us, we can't live out faith because we can't live out the works that's supposed to come with faith. So here in this situation, now we've got, like Sister Ray said, we've got men who have gone out and they're under the control, not of God, 
but of Satan. Because they're getting their power from Satan, not from God. And Ephesians chapter 2 lets us know. I was going to go tell you, but I was going to say 1 and 19 and 4 and 29. That kind of helps you understand that once you become a believer in Christ and you sincerely give yourself to the Lord and you do desire to become more like the Lord as you grow and understand that you've been sealed with the Spirit, with the Holy Spirit. That's it. And that's the reason why Satan cannot possess you as a child of God. It's because you've been sealed. You've been sealed until the day, the day of, of redemption. redemption. Yeah. There is no going back. You know, you say, hey, you've been saved and, and now you're, you've backslidden and now you're unsaved. It, who sealed you? Did you seal yourself? Did you say, come here, Holy Spirit. <clears throat> now stay right there. You didn't. So if you didn't have the power to seal yourself in the first place, where do you have the power to unseal yourself? What text is that? That is uh, Ephesians chapter 1, I think 13 and 14. 13 somewhere. I think it's 13 and 14. 29 Let's look real quick. Ephesians chapter 1, I think verses 13 and 14. Let's take a look right quick. Uh, Make sure. Okay. Okay, here in Ephesians chapter 1. Yeah, you got it marked up. All right, 13 and 14. Let's see. In him you also trusted after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also having believed you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. Yeah. Who is the guarantee of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession mm -hmm. to the praise of his glory. Mm -hmm. What was that other text, Sister Ryan? Uh, 4 and 30. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Amen. I wanted to make a point. In the Old Testament, if you guys have read any of the stories in the Old Testament, uh, when the king gave a decree... It could not be changed once he you signed off. You Ezra when it signed off. But a good, good, a good, a good point with that is uh, I'm trying to remember. I think it was Daniel. All right. It was Daniel. The king liked yes. Daniel, yes. but there were people around Satan's followers That's who right. wanted to do him in because Daniel prayed in the morning, in the afternoon, and at night, and so they came up with this plan to do him in by going to the king and tricking the king and telling the king, oh king, you know, we want you to do this and when we when we sound the music, everybody's supposed to bow down to the king. Well, they knew Daniel wasn't going to bow to the king. That's right. Because Daniel was serving the only true and living God. And when the music or the bells or whatever they did sounded, Daniel didn't obey. And they made, they tricked the king into signing into law that anybody that did not obey would be put to death. That's right. Okay? So... When Daniel didn't obey, they brought him before the king. And if you'll read the story, the king was very upset because he liked Daniel. And he knew he couldn't go back on his word because why? When his signature was signed on it, it was sealed. And it couldn't go back. Even the king couldn't change it. Because and see, that's decree. a good picture of how we are sealed with the Holy Spirit. And once we're sealed, it cannot be unsealed. Mm. That's, that's a right. Good picture. Because once it's done, once God, it's like a decree. Right. You are now my child. Right. And here's my 
sign. Yeah, Here's my signature. Yeah. The Holy Spirit. He said, what does he say? He says, anyone who has not the Holy Spirit, I think is Roman 8, is not his. That's right. The Holy Spirit is the sign and seal whether or not you are God. Absolutely. And you know, on that same idea of decree, as the Holy Spirit was opening this up while you were talking, that's why when people try to say, well, you know what? That Old Testament is for somebody else. You know, for them past, because when Jesus came, he did away with the Old Testament. No, he didn't. Because the Old Testament is like a decree. It is the law. It's God's law, and he ain't taking it back. But what does the Bible, what did Jesus say he did? Fulfill it. He didn't come to destroy the law, but he came <coughs> to fulfill it. Because it can be taken back, and that's why it set a standard that we couldn't reach. And so, since we couldn't reach, that's why God sent his only son. Because somebody had to come who could reach it. And so, it's in the same way, the law, and that's why it took Jesus Christ to overcome for us the requirements of the law. We saw that in Ephesians at one point too. Is that Satan had us because he could point to the law and show how we have fallen short. But the reason why he can't do it anymore is because we are hidden in Christ. And Christ cannot be convicted by the law because he fulfilled it. And so in Christ, we fulfill the law. It's nothing we can do but all that Christ does through us. Yet not I, but Christ in me. We are in the ark of safety, hidden in Christ. So now, as we continue to look here at this text, the Antichrist, or to Satan and his Antichrist, as the church is to Jesus and God the Father. Do you see that analogy? Do you see down through the generations these workers of iniquity, these workers of evil that are slaves to and have decided to be servants of their master who is Satan? And ultimately, the end is the Antichrist, is their ultimate one who they bow down to. But in this, once again, in order for Satan to be like God, he's got to mimic the things of God. And so the more we look at this seed, now we know why in Genesis there was this your seed against her seed. Because it's a one-on-one -on -one and it's the Antichrist against Christ. And so as this unfolds, we see how he is trying to mimic the things of God in this world. He's a spirit being. God's a spirit being. He needs someone to put on flesh who will be the Antichrist. And Christ is the one who's God who put on flesh. And here the church is. We are the workers for God down through the generations. And there is a world full of Antichrists who are servants 
of Satan. Now, let's look at one more text before we go any further. Let's look at 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. Romans 8, um, I can't remember what verse, but it is in Romans 8 that talks about if you have not the Holy Spirit, you are not His. In 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, starting at verse 1. Let's see here. Just trying to look for something real quick. back at that later. Let's go on with 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. Brother BJ, read verses 1 through 3. shamefully entreated, as you know, at Philippi, we were bold in our God to speak unto you the gospel of God with much contention. For our exhortation was not of deceit, nor of uncleanness, nor of God. Alright, so where are you now? Four. On four? Um, go ahead and read 5 through 8. Skip 4. Did you, did you read 4? Or did you stop at 3? I'll start at 4. Whereas we were allowed, O oh God, to be put in trust with the gospel, even so we speak. Hold on. What, what, where, where are you? What book? First Thessalonians. Second. Second. Second Thessalonians. Uh, All right, start back in verse 1. <laughs> <laughs> now we beseech you, brother, by coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and by our gathering together to him. Second chapter, right? Yep, you are correct. That ye be not so shaken in mind, or be troubled neither by spirit, nor by word, nor by letter as from us, as that, that, as that the day of Christ is at hand. Let no man deceive you by any means, for that day shall not come, except there come a falling away first, and that man of sin be revealed, the son of perdition. All right, go ahead with four through eight. Who opposes? 
and exalted himself above all that is called God, or that is worship, so that he, as God, sits in the temple of God, showing himself that he is good. God, remember ye not that when I was yet with you, I told you these things, and now ye know that and now you know what withholdeth, that he might be revealed in his time. For the mystery of iniquity doeth already work. Only he knew, only he who know, let it, will, what? Only he who know, let now, let it will let, until he be taken out of the way. And then shall that wicked be revealed, whom the Lord will shall consume with the spirit of his mouth, and shall destroy with the brightness of his coming. Amen. Amen. In the jump your wicked is capitalized. Your wicked is capitalized? Yeah. Alright. The the writer John of the Gospel of John and first, second, and third John is the one who pretty much exclusively uses the term antichrist. He pretty much uses that exclusively. But the antichrist is also shown in other terms as well. And in this text, the man of sin, the son of perdition, is also the antichrist. He's referring to the antichrist. And if you look at this text, what you see in here is that those same M.O.s, if you will, the same M.O. of Satan is popping up here with this man of sin, the son of perdition. What does he do? He opposes and exalts himself above all that is called God or that is worshipped. Because what is Satan, the Antichrist, what is their ultimate goal? To be worshipped. By everything. They want everything to bow to them. And so they impose anything where any other worship is to anything else, including God. But this text lets us see something else as well. In his desire to be worshipped, and in his desire to oppose all things that are God, it also gives us a timetable for him. There is a time, there was a timetable for Christ's coming, and there's a timetable for Antichrist's coming. There has to be a great following, falling away first. And so today in our lives, we don't know how long that season is. We don't know how long the falling away is, but we do know we're in the last days because we're already seeing the signs of the falling away. And so the falling away has to come to its completion before the Antichrist can come. But look what else is going on in this text as we come to a close because we're almost out of time. We see down here where it says, and do you remember that when I was still with you, I told you these things, and now you know what is restraining that he may be revealed in his own time. For the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Only he who now restrains 
will do so until he is taken out of the way. How many of your Bibles have that he capitalized? All right, there's one. Anybody else? Two. Now, watch this. We're talking about this man of sin. We're talking about this son of perdition, which tells us about his nature. He's a man of sin. That's, that's all he wants to do, and that's all he will be doing. But he's also the son of perdition, which means his end is going to be in destruction. His end is going to be in hell. But in this, we find that there is a he that also restrains his work. His lawlessness is going about, but it can be a whole lot worse today than what it is. Yeah, we, we having four murders or six murders in a day in our city, and there's murders all over the place. But there's still a restraining going on. Because in the day that he gets full reign, destruction is going to be much worse. Who is the he that's restraining him? The Lord and the Lord in the person of the, the Father. Keep going. The, the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit. Why? Why do I say this? Look at the text. When he's already at work, only he who now restrains will do so until he is what? Taken out of the way. You know his work is in this present world. Jesus Christ said, it's more expedient that I go. Where did he go? Back to the Father. Why was it more expedient? So that he could do what? Send the comforter. Send the comforter who would teach you all things. Right. But the comforter being God and the Holy Spirit is also restraining the evil one. While the church is being built, the evil one is being restrained by the Holy Ghost. Yeah. And so what we find here as well is it also shows his end. And it says in, in 8, and then the lawless one will be revealed. That's when the Holy Spirit will be taken out. Then the Antichrist comes and then he comes in his full glory of all the glory that he can have and control. But in that time, whom the Lord will do what? Consume with the breath of his mouth and destroy with the brightness of his coming. And you know what? I want to make a point right there. So when the end comes, Jesus don't even have to fight. He's just going to speak. And it's going to be done. It's going to be done. Because God is a God of word, ain't he? Yes. In the beginning, God created heaven and earth. What did he say? Let there be. He said, and it was. Yes, right. And he, all he had to do is speak a word. And that's it. And a crisis over with. <laughs> Amen. God bless y'all tonight. <laughs>